Hey, what is going on, everybody? Real quick, I got some very exciting news. Today we released the film teaser for our very first film called ADAC. You can find the teaser on Alaska DIY Instagram, Facebook, on our website at huntalaskadiy.com, or on our YouTube channel, Alaska DIY. So I hope you get on there, check out the teaser. We're super stoked about this film. It was an incredible experience, and we're just so happy and excited to share this with everyone. Okay, in this episode, we sit down with Alan Bolin of Bolin Lewis Outfitters. We met Alan on the plane, on the jet, out to Adak Island. Got to talking to him and swapping photos on the plane and then hooked up with him and his buddies once we got to ADAC that evening for dinner and uh, got a chance to sit down and record a podcast. The next morning, of course, we all went out and went hunting, uh, went our separate ways, but uh, Alan has killed some huge caribou and he has hunted caribou all over North America. He's got some great stories that he shares in this episode of Alaska DIY. So without any further ado, let's get into it. <laughs> this is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, all right, we're sitting on Adak Island, which is a really weird place we just flew into today. Um, sitting here with Alan Bolin and my buddy Dustin Coy. And we just met on the plane on the way here. We met Alan and, and some of your your friends. Hey, and can, can we start over? No, it's cool. So we met on the plane on the way here. And actually, I saw you guys all decked out in Kuyu stuff. So I figured with the flight time, I was like, I wonder if these guys are going to ADAC Island. So we were in Anchorage Airport walking in with all of our piles of gear and shit. And uh, I had to run. I decided to hunt with a longbow on ADAC on this caribou hunt about two days ago, three days ago. So I, uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing. And so I thought I was hoping I could check my longbow on minus string and arrows and all that kind of stuff and just walk the stick onto the plane and just, just like have them put it in the closet where they put like the fishing rods and stuff like and that. And I was looking at you thinking, I wonder if that guy's actually going to get on the plane with that longbow. <laughs> Well, it didn't happen. <laughs> but as I walked by you guys, I think somebody was. What did you guys say? You're like, are you? Are you? What did you say? You're gonna get one with a longbow? Is that a longbow or something like that? And I was running over to TSA to try to find someone I could ask if they'd let me on. It was a quick no. Yeah. So we made a make makeshift uh, <laughs> padded it was like, thing yeah. to protect the bow. It was uh, pretty interesting. It was too sections of pipe taped together that which contained the arrows and then uh plastic wrapped the bow with all sorts of padding and yeah the arrow cases provided the rigidity that we needed to keep that bow from snapping a limb tip on the plane or something <laughs> so we taped it to that all wrapped up in plastic and crap anyway it worked i would not recommend it uh if anybody's planning on flying with a longbow but uh, here we are. We were we're on Adak Island. So I actually looked this up, and this is the first podcast ever filmed on Adak Island. Really? You looked it up real quick? Well, no, I don't have internet. So <laughs> do you have cell service? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, are, we are disconnected. Our our gracious hosts here on Adak have they're smart enough to have what is it AT and T or something? Yeah. We're all variety. We're Verizon. Yeah. I have no service. Yeah, zero service. My wife I had my wife call Verizon. Because uh, the guy who's renting us the house, Jack, he was like, yeah, I've had guys come out before. And before they come out, they call their carrier 
and just have them turn ADAC on for their phone or something. <laughs> so I texted my wife from my Garmin inReach and I was like, hey, call the carrier and tell them to turn ADAC on. She texted back, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to someone, they didn't know what you're talking about. So apparently that's not a thing. I don't know. But thank God for the inReach device so you can text text my texted my wife when we landed and said I made it safe. Dustin's too. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of through the grapevine. The so wife connection that way. Yeah. How did I how did people do it like twenty years ago, thirty years ago before the sat phone thing was really available? They were a lot tougher than we are. There <laughs> yeah, and their wives must have either not let them go hunting them as much or been a lot more understanding. Or they didn't like them that much. I don't know which one. <laughs> so anyway, we're here. We're on Adak Island. We're both here to hunt caribou. Uh, but Alan, your goals for the for your hunt are a little bit different than ours. Yeah. What do you What are you here for? Well, I've kind of been on a caribou kick for the last decade. I've been hunting every species I can, and I uh, have some pretty pretty serious goals. I guess I don't know. I mean, it's everybody has different ways they enjoy hunting and. I really, really like uh, scoring animals and shooting for certain benchmarks and the record books and things like that. So I've been, I've been hitting it pretty hard. So when you say that, like, what, what have you been? What have you killed so far? Like, what's your, what's your history with caribou, with a bow? What yeah. So um, about a decade ago, um, I decided I wanted to try to harvest all five species of caribou and have them all be Boone and Crockett class animals, like all time Boone and Crockett record book. Um, I don't believe anybody's ever done it even with a rifle and I'm going to try to do it with a bow. And, uh, so far, I mean, I've had some success. So I have three, three of the five now, uh, Boone and Crockett and the barren ground I have close. It was a wards book. So it missed it by a little bit. That's why I'm here right now. See if we can maybe, maybe get one over 400 inches. That's awesome. So, what three do you currently have? I have the Woodland, okay, the Quebec Labrador, and the uh, Central Barren Ground. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And you just—you were telling me on the plane. In fact, you showed us pictures of you just killed a monster Central Barren. Ground. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. So it tell was us about pretty that. Pretty awesome. Well, so that species I'm I'm pretty worried about because they've been cutting tags back a lot. Uh, the Northwest Territories a while back shut down all hunting for Central Barren Ground. So right now you have Nunavut and Manitoba and I've hunted them. I've been on a couple hunts in Manitoba and struck out. And so I booked one in Nunavut with Kyler Nelson at Adventures Northwest. And it was an awesome hunt. I could not believe the number of mature bulls we saw. It was the highest percentage of mature bulls I've ever seen caribou hunting. And I've done a lot of it over the last decade. Like every group of bulls you saw was there would be one or two just really, really good bulls, like serious considerations. So that was really fun. We ended up finding uh, the biggest bull I've ever seen. And uh, we hunted him hard for several days. He Luckily, he wasn't migrating hard, so he, he stuck around. And uh, it, we actually found him, ironically. Uh, the weather was super bad. There's this giant lake about 100 miles long that they hunt. And so everybody wants to go out in the boats and cruise the lake and look for caribou. And this particular day, the waves were bad, like super bad chop, three, four foot chop. And so we couldn't take the boats out. So we hiked right from camp, which nobody wants to do. It's like considered, no, nah, nobody wants, you know, there's not going to be anything around camp. We hiked out of camp and we found this world-class caribou, like just a couple miles from camp. And we hunted them right out of camp for several days and ended up killing them on the last day of the hunt. 
it was pretty awesome. So what, how long of a hunt was it? So it was uh, a one week hunt. Okay. Um, and I, I actually had the option of potentially extending the second week. So when I say the last day of the hunt, it was the last day of the first week okay. that is able to get it done. And what day did you find the caribou? Day four, three and a half, four, okay. right in there. Yeah. And then, so what was going through your mind when you first saw that bull? Well, he came over the ridge. He was with a, a group of three mature bulls. They were all big. And I saw him and said, well, he's the biggest. I wonder if he has double shovels. And I thought to myself, even if he doesn't, he might be a Boone and Crockett bull. He was that big. And then he turned and he had these giant, perfect double shovels. And I thought that's a 400 inch bull, which, you know, central barren ground 360 is book. So 400 is absolutely top in the world, like big, big. So I was stoked out of my mind. I had actually missed a really big bull the day before. And, you know, at, at one point I was thinking, maybe it's lucky I missed because this thing is, is something else. Hmm. So is, wait, how many arrows did you take on this hunt? Because I think we were talking, this is the hunt you were talking about earlier in the yeah. kitchen, wasn't it? Yeah, no, you're going to call me out on a podcast about oh, this Oh, well, huh? hey. You hey, you know what, I'll, you I'll own it. I'll own it. So <laughs> when I finally connected, so I missed, uh, the, the bull I missed, I missed a couple of times the day before. And then I missed this bull multiple times. The big bull? The big bull. So when you say yes. you hunted him, that's, that was going to be my next question is like, yeah. how many stocks did you get? Like, I got a lot of stocks on this bull and, and I got several shots. There was very high winds and my arrows did not mesh well with the wind. And, uh, I mean, I, I missed several shots and it was, it was very frustrating. Like it was disheartening because you get in on a world-class animal like that and, and you just, you want to connect so bad and you make a good stock and then you've got these winds gusting 40 miles an hour and you try to put that shot together and you see the arrow, the luminoc, just like the fire knock, just go in the wrong direction and swirling in the wind. You're like, no, this is bad. Uh, when we finally killed him, it was for some reason that evening was just calm, beautifully calm. And he walked into us and just, it just, it was perfect. So how, give me an idea of like, how many stocks did you have within bow range on this bull that was sticking around and not migrating and, and just kept giving you more opportunities? I probably had six stocks. Really? Yeah. And when he would, when he'd spook or had a shot, was he spooking bad? Or? He would go like a mile. Okay. Yeah. A mile, maybe mile and a half. And we just kind of keep our distance and try to keep watching them and keep grabbing high points and search for them. Um, we did one night, uh, we, um, he spooked right at dark and, and moved and we came back the next day and we looked for him for five or six hours. We hiked, I think my GPS said we zigzagged eight miles, uh, looking for him, could not find him. And then we went back to camp to, to, um, grab some gear real fast to get in the boat and actually give up on them and go to a different spot. And we went to a different spot about two miles down the lake up on this high point. And we, we were just glassing 360 degrees around this spot. And as we were glassing back toward camp, we saw this group of caribou. And, uh, I said to my guy, that might be him. And, but it was too far. It was miles away. And so we went back to camp, moved in on this group of caribou to see what we had. And it was him. And then that night we put two more stocks on them didn't work and right at dark i'm sitting up on this ridge this was amazing and the plane's leaving the next morning and i really wanted to get home to see my kids 
The plane's leaving the next morning. I'm watching this caribou out about a mile after I had spooked him on a stalk. And I'm gonna say, I said to my guy, I'm going to sit here until it's dark and see where he ends up so we know where he is tomorrow morning. And he started feeding toward us. And then the, the lead bull, he actually wasn't the lead bull. There's another bull that was leading the group, just looks up and starts walking right at us, not even feeding. And they covered a mile in a matter of, I don't know, 10 minutes. And we got in front of him and he walked right in front of us and for the shot. Like it was oh, like wow. a gift. It was awesome. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's awesome. what was it like going to bed at night on the, some of those previous days when you had stalked in and may, maybe shot some arrows or an arrow or... Yeah. I don't know. So here's the thing. Like I really enjoy hunting huge animals. And with that, you have to accept that you're not going to kill. In fact, it's going to be rare. I went on... I was, it was my seventh sheep hunt before I made a single stock on a sheep. And I, I passed dozens of legal rams with my bow waiting for an absolute giant. And I've, I've just come to grips with the fact that I'm going to have fun hunting. I'm going to have a freaking blast without killing stuff because I only want to kill big stuff. That's just how I've defined how I want to do it. I'm not saying it's the right way. It's just the way I want to do it. And I'm totally cool going to bed, having missed shots, having missed opportunities, having passed on huge animals that just weren't what I was looking for or whatever it is, I love the experience. I absolutely love it. So honestly, I slept like a baby. Now, occasionally I do admit when you see that arrow flying through the air on what you felt like was a pretty decent shot and you see the wind take it away from the animal, that it's a little bit like, dang it. But still, part of the experience, and I love every minute of it. So everybody that I've talked to about Adak Island says the wind blows and howls here. Yeah, um, I brought three dozen arrows. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't bring that many. So we're Dustin and I, we're bull, bull shooting longbows, which is kind of like, you know, I would compare it to, you know, your description of hunting really, really big stuff and being happy hunting and having a blast and not, right. not always having to kill something, except like... We're not really <laughs> trying to hunt really, really big stuff. We're just leaving the big stuff out of it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. we're just going to have fun, you know, chasing caribou with the longbow in our hand for most of the trip. You got to eat that mic, man. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Don't forget to, there you yeah. go. Good job. Yeah, we're looking at, I would love to find a good bull um, on the island here, but a uh, couple things ha- happened for us is we planned this trip fairly last minute a couple months ago started getting the details on logistics together and uh and when we went to pull a film film permit the guy was like you know for the refuge land the the guy in the in the federal office there basically was like i can't help you like we're not giving out any film permits like at all nobody can get them it's not just you like they're just not available that seemed a little bit odd but it also means that if we wanted to film the hunt which we were planning on doing that the two-thirds southern two-thirds of the island roughly was out of out of limits which is also where most of the big caribou are because they get pressured from town on the north end of the island and you know and so not that you couldn't find a big bull on on the native land on the north end of the island but that's kind of where we're going to stick to and 
and so that we can film it. And, and oh, I didn't know that that's, So that's what you're doing then. You, yeah. you have to stay up there because of the film permit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we can hunt the southern. You know, we can hike down into the southern part of the island and look for a good bull, but we can't use the footage. Right. Fil- we, we can use still images. We can go, you know, shoot a good bull if we can find one. But uh, if we want to use that that fi- that film footage, uh, we got to stay on the native land. So, yeah, feels like got handcuffs on a little bit. So, but that's okay because part of what you know our goal for the trip is is just get out here and see this place that's kind of crazy and wild way out on the Aleutian chain you know and uh closer to Russia than Anchorage you know it's way out here and it's uh it's a very unique place and and we're further west than Hawaii right now are we really yeah yeah that's crazy yeah that's incredible it was a beautiful day flying in with the sun on the island when we landed it's mountainous isn't it yeah they gotta bring goats out here there's cliffs (laughs) everywhere they would do great they would do awesome and this would be like a two or three or four goat limit probably. If Kodiak has areas that are a two goat limit, this place would be a free for all, man. <laughs> Somebody's got to be able to pull some strings somewhere. Get some goats out here. No, but uh, we're excited to be here and, and and chase some of these caribou around. Sounds like some hunters that came out on the plane or were flying out on the plane we came in on had, had shot quite a few, but... Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard of any big bulls. Did you hear anybody no. talking about killing big bulls? Yeah. Uh, one group of hunters said they saw one, yeah. but they said he was rutting hard. They didn't want to shoot him. Oh, okay. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. So he was rutting. Was he with a bunch of cows then? That's what the hunter said, yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about that on the plane earlier too in terms of the, the edibility of the meat. Right. We knew we were kind of flirting with the timing of the rut here. And I talked to to Corey Herendine here on the island Um and about that he thought we'd be fine but, i've heard uh, that you you heard the same thing yeah yeah it is it is one of those things though where for us it's like i mean i i mean i'd love to shoot a big bull too if the opportunity presents itself but man i like meat hunting too like i you know i got a big family i got five kids at home and i love to take a bunch of meat home and yeah, that's a big part of the meat or a big part of the hunt and a big part of the whole experience for me. And Caribou I, is delicious. Yeah. So that's what you're saying. I've had, I haven't actually had very much caribou. I've had caribou hot dogs, which were amazing. Um, I think I've had steaks once, which were good. I was, you know, like I was telling you guys earlier, caribou is one of the rare animals that the fat is absolutely delicious. You can cut strips of fat and fry it like bacon and it it's so good. Like a deer or an elk, for some reason, their fat tastes gamey. On a caribou, it's it's so good. Yeah, when we we butcher our own meat and deer, elk, moose, and that kind of stuff, we trim all like a hundred percent of the fat off. It's, that's what gives it the gamey flavor that a lot of people don't like. Right. But uh, no, that's that's what I love about sheep, and that's what I love about black bears too. Like fall black berry, you know, bears that have been on the berries in the fall, and but. Uh, have you ever had Dustin? Have you ever had sheep meat? I haven't had sheep either. No. And are the what do you guys have? What do you guys hunt in in Canada? So our outfit, Bull and Lewis Trophy Guiding, we hunt mainly mountain goats and black bears on okay. our coastal area. Then our inland area, which is on the east slope of the Rockies, close to Alberta, but still in BC, we hunt moose, elk, moose elk combos, and then a bit of white tailed deer, and then black black bears in the spring. Okay, but cool. Mountain goats, I'd say, are are real. Like we're most well known for our world class mountain goats. Yeah, gotcha. I I like goat meat. It's good. 
Yeah, it's there's different. no game taste. Oh. The steaks are a little bit tough, but you make it into burger and it's great. Yeah. What well, what you said you did several sheep hunts before you killed a ram. Yeah. What uh what sheep hunt what were you hunting? So I've hunted doll sheep uh five times. I hunted stone sheep a couple times. I hunted bighorn sheep once. Okay. And uh I literally never I made a stock for my first time last summer and really? got extremely fortunate, like killed the ram of a hundred lifetimes. Yeah. Do tell. Oh yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So I, I shot 176 inch stone. Really? Wow. Yeah. Largest stone sheep killed in the Yukon with any weapon in 50 years. Holy crap. Yeah. I'm the luckiest guy on planet. Who did you go uh, with? <laughs> I went with, um, Aaron, Aaron, uh, Yukon stone. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It was a fantastic hunt. Amazing. Incredible. I feel like I've been living under a rock. I haven't seen a <clears throat> picture of that. Well, I have one. Yeah. I'd, li- <laughs> I'd like to see it. Oh, man. 176-inch stone. Yeah. Should be new number two in the world at um, Pope and Young Did you shoot it? You shot it with a bow? Yeah, I did. Oh, my word. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm still, like, still, I don't believe it actually happened. And that was last year? That was last August. And then this year you've already killed a what it what, what, you didn't you didn't say what the your bull just that you just killed taped out at what so was I've got them taped uh, at four fifteen and change gross uh-huh. and, and four oh six and change net okay which I mean if if it holds he's close I think number two in the world right now is like four oh five and change wow so he and he's hard horned already so he shouldn't shrink yeah so uh, yeah he should be number two maybe number three in the world that's amazing. Yeah. That's two good years, man. Heck yeah. Mm. It's been it's been really <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Wow. And then you, you showed me a picture of a stud buck that you took like right after that hunt. Yeah, that was an incredible forty eight hours. So I got home from Nunavut um on a Saturday morning and uh on a red eye flight and I almost missed my bush flight pulling that bull out the next morning because it was uh too late to late to take pictures and everything the night before. And uh, almost missed my bush flight. Got on my bush flight, booked a red-eye flight that I didn't have, got home to Utah, landed. I spent several hours with my kids that day, and for some reason, I just felt like this momentum coming off of that hunt. And I had been hunting this giant 3 by 4 mule deer that, I mean, his his foreside is like out of this world biggest typical I've ever seen. And I just I had hunted them eight days before I left to Nunavut. And I just felt like, man, I got this, all this momentum. I got to get up the mountain. So I kissed my kids and said, I'll see you in a few hours. Went up the mountain and unbelievably shot that giant buck. So within 48 hours and a red-eye flight, I'd kill this world-class caribou and this mule deer. I was just, you know, I, when, when you got the luck rolling, you just got to keep going. So it was it was really awesome. That's cool. That was uh, that buck was in velvet, right? Yeah, if I remember from the picture. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. I've never hunted Utah. Utah's cool. You know, it's um, it has really good limited entry areas. Mm-hmm. Super good, but they're so hard to draw for deer and elk. They're world class. Um, this particular area is an archery only area. General tag, forty dollar tag. That's in Salt Lake County. It's called the Wasatch Front Extended Area. And it has some huge deer because it's it's archery only, but it's all really high elevation, really steep, really limited access, very little water. It's very difficult to hunt. I think success rates are like 9%. It's super tough hunt. 
but there are some big bucks up there. You put in your time, you can find one, and, and you know, it's possible. Dreams come true on the Wasatch Front Extended Hunt. Is that, can non-residents hunt that yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah I would okay. think a non-resident would draw that with, with zero to one points. Okay. Yeah. Huh, cool. But come prepared. Yeah. It is super physical. It's yeah. t- it's a tough hunt, but you can see some giants. Yeah. What, uh, is it the steepness of the terrain? Rugged, steep, rugged terrain, or is it super high elevation? Yeah, so, the, you know, the, a lot of the deer are at uh, over 9,000 feet. Okay. And all the access is hiking trails, mm-hmm. and there's no water, very, very little water, so you got to pack all your water with you. So us, those of us who live there, we take water up with us all summer and cache it. Yeah. So I'll have several gallons of water where I hunt, ready to go for when I camp for eight or nine days. I'll have four or five gallons of water. And uh, so it's it's tough. And, and you know, the, the deer, you know, they're in really rugged stuff. And putting on the stalks can be super hard. And sometimes they'll, a lot of times they bed in the timber. So you'll see them out feeding on the open faces and they'll move in the timber to bed. So then you somehow got to sneak into that timber and put a stock together. It's a tough hunt. Yeah. But huh. it's a, it's like a, for a DIY hunt to hunt world-class deer. I mean, it's an option. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, there's some places you go where you never have the chance of seeing a 190 inch deer. Right. This a lot of places. really. Yeah, really. Yeah. This is not one of those places. There's a chance you're going to kill a world-class deer. So, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. You, you can't, you can't do it unless you dream it first. Huh? Well, I, we started this conversation. I want to talk about caribou, but I had an ADD moment, and I I love hunting mule deer in the high country. Love it. So do I. Oh my gosh. So I ben, gotta make myself not do it mm-hmm. because I could do it like every hunt. I gotta say no more mule deer. You gotta go do other stuff, or you're gonna do nothing but hunt mule deer. It's yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's like um. Well, I moved up here last summer to Alaska, so I live in Anchorage now, and. Uh, my wife and I have been talking about it for 10 years or so. And really it's just, we came up here for the hunting and fishing, you know, mainly the hunting. I wanted to hunt sheep and goats and, and coastal brown bear. And I didn't really see myself being able to afford enough guided hunts to, to keep me happy, you know? And so I thought, well, shoot, I can move to Alaska, become a resident and get over the counter sheep tags every year over the counter goat tags every year. You know, I can hunt brown bears every year or put in for draws for to hunt them in ridiculous places where they're, you know, where there are huge, huge brown bears places I've guided before. And it's just crazy. But, uh, yeah, there's something about high country mule deer and elk hunting during the rut. It's like we moved up here and I'm, you know, learning all the regulations now as a resident looking at it through that lens. And looking at all the opportunities, and in the back of my mind, it's like, man, I'm giving up high country mule deer. But you're not. And elk in the rut. <laughs> That's the thing. In the rut. <laughs> Alaska's limited unless you're a resident. You can always go to Colorado or That's, Utah and hunt mule deer. Right. And yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. But there's still that something about that human like mentality. Like, what are you giving up? Yeah, man, that's good stuff. So you got three, three of the five caribou, and you're working on uh, the barren ground right now. Yeah, so I've I've killed four of the five, but four I've got of three five. of the five that are all time Boone and Crockett. Yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. The, the woodland, the Quebec Labrador, and the and the Central Barren Ground. What was it, what was the woodland your woodland caribou hunt like? So that hunt I did the very first of the caribou, and I did that on purpose because it's the smallest of all of them, and I didn't want to be disappointed. 
what I found out was it is an incredibly awesome hunt. So these stags, they call them stags there. They don't call them bulls. These stags, these giant stags, you'll only lay eyes on them two weeks a year. They live in the thick, nasty bush all by themselves for 50 weeks of the year. And for two weeks, they come out onto these bogs, these open bogs, and they herd these cows up and and they breed them. And that's your only chance. They're like the most reclusive, awesome animal. And when they come out in there, they come out ready to fight. They're chasing everything off. It is incredible to watch them. The way they dominate that herd, they monopolize all those cows and just, it's it's cool, super cool. And so that, that hunt was a huge surprise to me, how amazing it was. I loved it. Um, I went in northern uh, Newfoundland on the very tip of the island and I uh, killed a great bull or stag, killed a great stag there. It was, it was a great hunt. Yeah. Tell, tell us about like how that hunt went down. I'm really curious. You know, um, it was interesting. My, my guide was an older guy in his fifties, uh, chain smoker was interesting for a guide. And, uh, it was interesting because I I felt like he really had a lot of experience and I felt like he's somebody I should definitely trust. And, um, I feel like you could easily come in and maybe judge them for like, I thought it's I was some hot young kid. I might be in better shape than him or whatever, but I really relied on his experience and I felt like his experience made all the difference in the hunt. It was, it was cool watching his judgment compared to mine because there's a big river r- right next to where this caribou was hanging out, this big bull we found. And to get from one side of the river to the other was a four hour drive because you had to drive all the way around this giant piece of, of country and then cross this bridge and then all the way back around like, you know, 30, 40 miles of dirt roads on each side. There's only one bridge across. And so we'd see this bull across the, or this stag across the river. And I'd say, Hey, let's go, let, let's go around and get him. It's four hour drive. Let's go, go do it. He's over there. And he'd be like, I don't know. That's doesn't seem like, it seems like we're rushing it. Like, why don't we just wait? And I'd talk him into it. We go all the way around and we'd hike in four hour drive and a two hour hike. And he'd be back on the side of the river. We were just on. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I started to realize I, you know, these old, old guys, they're not, they're smart. Right. And so I started just trusting him and listening to him. And, and he eventually put us in the right position to make a great stock on this bull and, and get it done. So how often did that bull cross the river? How many times did that play Gee, out? it seemed like every day. But uh, we eventually got lucky and caught him on the right side of the river. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what was the stock like? It was, uh, they're pretty spooky, these uh, these woodland caribou. I, I found that um, if they, you know, you can't be seen at all. And so I got a little fold of the land and I had to belly crawl uh, several hundred yards and he was bedded. There were actually two big bulls that, that we were hunting. Um, both of them were, were giants would have been book bulls. And, uh, interestingly, we had the opportunity that the same day I stalked them where they squared off and this bull, uh, beat up the other bull. And so I said, well, that's the one I want. And so they had kind of split up and I, I could choose at that point which one I wanted to stalk. And I went for the one who won the fight. And uh, I belly crawled like a couple hundred yards. It was it was pretty awesome. And, and he was bedded and I was laying flat. If I even raised my head, uh, you know, a couple of inches, I was in view. And I laid flat until he stood up because he was bedded. And when he stood up, I, I sat back on my butt and he looked at me and I came to full draw and I shot him. 
What range was it? 60 yards. 60. So we're going to go out there with longbows and try to get within 30, yeah. depending on the wind. And uh, what's your experience with sitting up after a belly crawl? It worked, sounds like it worked in that one. Uh, you've hunted a lot of caribou. Have you had pretty good success being within bow range and sitting up in front of them? You know, um, if they're feeding, you're going to be at a real advantage. If they've got their nose in the grass, uh, they, they tend to be a lot less spooky. I think like any animal, they focus on what they're eating and their eyes are focused down. And so you're going to be a lot more forgiving. If, if they're bedded or standing alert, I wouldn't sit up at that moment. I find them feeding would be best. Uh, one thing is to put your arms up to mimic a set of caribou antlers. It works quite well. And so before I just sat up and drew my bow, I would, I would maybe raise my arms and sit up and then tilt my hands back and forth. Like I'm a caribou bull, just kind of swaying his head and that'll really get their curiosity up. Then drop your arms and draw your bow. Gotcha. Yeah, it's good advice. Um, So your woodland hunt, you got to choose between two Boone and Crockett bulls. And what you watched them fight. Did you get any of that on film or like camera or anything? No, I didn't. No. Man, I need to get more stuff. The stuff we see out here, if you could just capture a quarter of it. It's like you can't film and hunt at the same time, I feel like. it's These guys like... uh, what is it, Tim Burnett and Remy Warren and these guys? I I just don't even understand how they do it. Micah's sitting here laughing. Like, have you ever tried to f- film yourself hunting? Have you? Did it work very well? Very hard. Very hard. Man. Even just filming, just trying to capture cool stuff while hunting can be tricky to get your you know camera stuff out of your pack and set up fast enough while stuff happens. But uh, you're right. We see so much cool stuff. So much. So you've been here to ADAC before. Yeah. You were saying. Yeah. I, it was either 2005 or 2006. I can't remember. Did you see any cool stuff while you were here? Uh, no. I In seven days, <laughs> I did not see past 60 yards once. It was, well, the day, the day we took the boat down, it was gorgeous. Unbelievable day. And he dropped us off and we hiked for about a half an hour and the fog rolled in and that was it. That's all we saw. It was bad. You said you were sitting on top of a mountain. Yeah. So we used, when the fog rolled in, we kept hiking and I used my GPS topo to navigate to the top of, of the mountain where I planned to glass from. We pitched up our camp and uh, sat there for seven days and didn't see anything. And we did have, a, there were four of us, so two of us went up there and two of us were down in the valley at sea level. And every day at two o'clock or whatever, we got turned on the radios to see how the other guys were doing. And they were sitting in the fog too. So it wasn't just the top of the mountain. The whole island was socked in for, with fog for seven days. That's That sounds pretty miserable. I uh, doing It was anything? fun. It was, was fun. It? I have nothing but good memories. Sitting in the tent, <laughs> listening to the audio books. And what, I have fun every time I'm in the oh, field. That's cool. I uh, Anytime you do anything for seven days that's seems futile i just i don't know i get really itchy man i get we had a i did a bear hunt one time on kodiak i don't know if i've said this before maybe i have but uh it just had a really late spring a really mild winter and a very late cold spring and so the bears were actually out quite a bit in the winter time and then they were back in they went back in their dens and and were hibernating during the spring season in in april late april and we went seven days without seeing a single bear 
just glassing snow snow covered mountains for seven days. You, you know, you just sit in one spot on a glassy knob, glass for about twelve hours a day. I about lost my mind. Yeah, we weren't seeing deer or anything else. Either. That's actually worse than sitting in the fog, because Maybe. you feel like there's no hope. Kind of, it's, you know, caribou hunting. Talking about caribou hunting in Manitoba, I booked a fourteen day hunt for Central Barren Ground, and in fourteen days. I did not see a single cow caribou in 14 days. The first day we showed up to camp, we get in the boat and we're all excited. We're cruising across the lake and we get up on this ridge and we're glassing with the guides and, and we glass for about an hour and I see them like drop their binos and they're kind of like rolling their eyes. And I'm like, Hey guys, how's it been? They're like, well, to be honest, we haven't seen a caribou yet this year. <laughs> and wow. I, how, how far into the season had it been? I think we were the second hunt. Yeah. So, but they hadn't Still. seen one the first hunt. And then I had two hunts in a row booked. I usually book two in a row just because like I'm looking for big stuff. I figure I better have more time. So I booked two in a row and I stayed 14 days. I never saw even a cow in 14 so days. So you saw zero caribou. Zero caribou. I thought maybe you said, oh, I saw one. You were going to say I shot a bull or something. But no. You no. didn't see any in 14 days. Yeah. So the migration. Okay. this I'm glad you brought this up because this is very interesting and for people listening that may have never hunted caribou before is here on Adak Island. I think it's a lot different than, than other places where you would hunt caribou. And I got my first taste of this. I did a haul, you know, we went up the haul road, uh, first few days of August this year to try to shoot a caribou before I had to fly out for a sheep season. And, uh, and I was talking to folks up there and just kind of researching and, and talking to people as I was driving up the haul road and everybody's saying like, yeah, if they're there, if they're there, you know, my mentality, I was going to treat it like elk hunting. We elk hunt open country back home in Washington state. And we just, I just keep hiking. We'll, we'll find it elk eventually. It's open country. They're big bodied. You're going to see them. So we just keep hiking, keep hiking ridges, keep dropping into canyons, keep looking. And, and we always do. Right. And so that was my mentality. Like, oh, I can cover country. I can find some caribou. No, it's not like that. It's like, there will be miles of country of tundra and there might not be any caribou there at all, like none, because they do these this crazy migration thing where they're in these herds, and sometimes they're there by the thousands, and then other times they're 100 miles away. Yeah, it's it can be brutal. And other times it can be so magical. So last year, well, 2017, I was in Quebec, and the biggest migration that had been through in 20 years came through. And I saw probably 30,000 caribou in one week hunting. It was unbelievable. It looks like the, it looked like the hillsides were moving, like they were crawling. So that means you're seeing what, like 4,000 a day or more roughly. I mean, you're guesstimating at that point. You know, I, I was, it, it was more like I saw close to 8,000 a day for three days. And then it, thinned out quite a bit those three days were unbelievable and then it thinned out quite a bit you've seen a couple thousand a day that seems to me like it would be really difficult like looking for a trophy in that many animals like glassing effectively and it seems like you would there's because in that many animals there's got to be a lot of bulls that would look good you want to look get a better look at or consider going it's after. interesting you say that and all, you know and, and we, so i look at them pretty carefully and i've become you know pretty good at judging caribou and i know this sounds crazy but i saw three bulls that i wanted to shoot 
Really? Out of I mean, I'm not saying I looked at all thirty thousand caribou, but right. of the bulls I had time to look at and I saw a ton of thousands of bulls I looked at. I saw three that I thought that's a Boone and Crockett bull, I'm gonna go shoot him. And the one I ended up shooting was barely Boone and Crockett. He was uh three seventy eight and Boone and Crockett's three seventy five. So it's it, it's not easy, man. These animals are tough to judge. There's a lot of points, a lot going on. There are ways to quickly put them together and score some methods, but it's it, they they can be tricky. Like what? How do, if you have to make a quick decision and kind of get a rough gauge of like what class bull it is? What? How do you do it? So I I score one side. I look at his main beam. Say that's 52 inch main beam. That's a 18 inch bez. That's 70 inches. Um, that there's two top points that are 16 each. That's 32. So I'm at 102. Um, that's the bull doesn't have palmation. So he has 20 inches of mass on that side and he's got a, so that's 120, and then he's got a, a four inch back scratcher. So it's 124, 124 times two is, is, uh, 244. And then we had, um, his shovel. You know, I don't do the I do the shovel at the end because oh, actually I forgot points. So I was at one twenty four, and let's say he has ten points per side, so that's one thirty four times two is one sixty eight, two sixty eight. Um, you know, you can't do math when you're on a podcast, but it's you okay. get what I'm saying. Get, so two sixty eight, the and then yeah. say say he has a you know a forty inch spread, and you add the spread, and then you take the shovels each one at a time because the shovels you can't double. So the one shovel say it's eighteen inch long and twelve inches high, and the other shovel let's say it's it's uh, fourteen inches long and four inches high, and you add all that up, and it comes out to whatever you know three seventy, and it's like you can score the bowl in just a couple minutes doing it that way. It's best to pull out your phone and use the calculator, and just say okay two top points thirty two plus. You know, you know everything that's doubled, which is length of main beam, length of bez, length of the two top points, the mass, which is usually around 20 inches per side, unless he has palmation, add a little bit to that, then the width of the top palm, then the number of points. Double that, then add the inside spread and the shoveled measurements, and you're going to get a score. I'm guessing you got to do that a few times to get good at it. You do. Yeah. 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 It takes a bit. It takes practice. So how how many years have you been hunting caribou? About 10. Yeah. Yeah, about 10 years. And what got you so excited about caribou specifically? Well, it was mainly, um, you know, I was talking to Mark Buer at Bowhunting Safari Consultants, and I said, Mark, um, if a guy wants to harvest quite a few North American animals, what should you concentrate on first? What could go away? And he immediately said, caribou, get your caribou, man, because they can, they can go away. A perfect example, for those of you who don't know, Quebec Labrador's but caribou got closed. 2017 was the last year. The year I saw 30,000 caribou move through, ironically, was the last year. And it's, it's, it's really sad. But it's, I mean, as it stands right now, it's over. So that's why I got on it, just from an urgency standpoint of hunting what what uh what might go away and then i just fell in love with the animal if you like antlers caribou is your animal nothing has antlers like caribou and once you figure out once you learn about them you say oh there's tops and there's bezes and there's shovels and there's back points and you know how all those come together it becomes like the coolest animal to judge and to look at and to appreciate 
Um, in the beginning, you just think, oh, there's antlers everywhere. I don't understand what's going on. But learn what each part is, and it becomes a lot more interesting and exciting and, and easy to appreciate. No, that's cool. And it doesn't hurt that they taste really good. Oh, yeah. Right? They're the best. I, I I don't know. I mean, I like my Sitka blacktail deer. I like There's a lot of things I like, but it's hard to beat the caribou. I'm, I'm looking forward to some caribou meat, that's for sure. So I don't know if I'll be quite as picky as you <laughs> on a bull. I might <laughs> shoot a cow with my longbow. That might be a, that would be awesome. a trophy for me, but yeah, I'm, I'm like looking forward to it. I just there. even looking out before it got dark here, looking out at the hills, I'm excited to get out there and start hiking around. This is a cool place. I get really excited about hunting country that is treeless and especially excited if it's there's no brush on it either. So this place already is starting to look like paradise, man. Like really cool geography, much steeper than I imagined it would be, which seems to always be the case when you're looking at Google Earth or whatever. Um, whew. About knocked a glass of water off the table. Um, but just being able to hunt open, grassy country that has a lot of topography to work with, that's pretty exciting from a bow hunting perspective, from any any stocking, spot and stock style. Hunt. Add 3,000 caribou, right? put them on an island, and you've got paradise. Yeah, don't tell anybody, man. More people <laughs> might move out here. There's a lot of houses for sale, <laughs> yeah. so I've heard. <laughs> Actually, we were talking to Jack today, the guy we're in the house from, and he said that, uh, I think Mike asked, or was it you, Dustin, like, hey, how many of these houses are like are are owned versus vacant? And he said, oh, most, or what do you say, like, oh, a lot of them are more. Yeah, how many are in use? Oh, most of them Most are. of them. <laughs> and he said, well, a little bit more than half, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, There's no way. That's what he <laughs> said. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like no, it. I there's, don't think so. I, I mean, I would think there's a thousand houses here or something. Oh yeah, Is, you think there's that many? There's well, a, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there, it, when you look at the top view, like the satellite view, it's just like subdivisions, man. It's just tons of houses. And there's less than a hundred people that live on the island. Yeah, less than a hundred year round. He said, "Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. It's a wild place. Spooky. It's like a true, like sort of ghost town." Yeah, I kind of so our. Our hunts have been cut short. We didn't really talk about that, but we were supposed to be on a plane on Wednesday, um, and we are flying back on the 13th, uh, so next Saturday. So we were going to have 10 days to come. And that was get, our plan, too. Yeah, okay, Roger. Have plenty. It felt like that's that's a nice you know, nice window, nice length of hunt to, uh, to try to get it done in a new place, never having been here before and running around with bows. Um, seven days is less than 10. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you had your travel and hike in time and everything else. And yeah, you're down to like four or five days. Yeah. Hunt, it's really. tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I was kind of, part of me would enjoy getting done a little bit early and, and just being able to kick around town and maybe beach comb, you know, it, it's such a unique place being this far away from anything. The barracks up on the hill there supposedly have like underground tunnels connecting them and stuff you can go explore. Really? Kind of wild. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. That is cool. I mean, I think that, D Dustin, you were saying that uh, you got a buddy who found Japanese balls out here. Was that you? Yeah, there's this guy. Um, he's a fisherman and he was out, yeah, doing some beach combing on ADAC and uh, found like one of the real large size Japanese glass balls. Yeah, like soccer ball size ones. Yeah, just huge. And then 
Uh, I think uh, another guy that fishes with him found one with the netting still attached to the glass ball. Oh, really? Yeah. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, like traditional Japanese fishermen had these blown glass balls that were net floats that they used for, I think it's commercial fishing, right? Yeah, I think and, so. And they held their nets suspended in the in the in the water and so of course those over time you know they lose the balls and they start drifting around on the ocean you can find them all over the beaches in alaska i think it's harder to it's getting harder and harder to find them now than than it used to be um it but the more remote places it seems like you have higher chance of finding them but normally they're like the size of what somewhere between like a tennis ball and a grapefruit or something yeah i'd say so yeah kind of like a green glass or sometimes blue they're cool yeah yeah but uh, i i don't know if i've seen one of the, I'm trying to think if I've seen the really big ones. Maybe I have, you know, and like a lot of times, uh, like shops in coastal fishing towns or whatever, they'll shop windows will have balls decorating them or whatever. Um, no, it's cool. Just, just like another little thing and birding, I guess there's birders that come out to the Island cause there's a lot of rare birds that you can see out here. Um, that you normally don't get, you know, closer to the mainland. So that draws people too, but there's also ordinance. There's signs everywhere. I'm looking at one right now across the table. What to do? Warning: What to do if you discover ordinance items? There is the potential of encountering ordinance items in all areas of ADAC. For your safety, should you discover suspected suspected ordinance items, please do not touch. Share, note the location. It's going through this stuff, and they look like rusted out bombs, basically. And cartridges, like big rusty munitions laying around. So that's interesting. Um, what was it? Scott was saying that uh, there's a 100-year cleanup. Is that what he was saying in the truck right. today? 100-year yeah. cleanup plan? They're 20 years into it right now. 20 years into it to clean up all the all that ordnance and munitions and landmines and whatever it is that's on the island. From This is all World War II, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna go comb the island and see if we can detonate any of it for them. <laughs> Shoot it with your bow. <laughs> Shoot it with your bow. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, we're we need to wrap it up. We got all we all got to get to bed tonight and get up and go hunting tomorrow. But uh, thanks for hanging out and making the time to. It's good out. meeting you guys. Yeah, yeah. Nice thanks for uh, it's thanks been for fun. the dinner. I hope we all have an awesome time on the island. Yeah, I think we will. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to say or share before we jump off the mics? No, I'm good, man. I'm okay. really excited to get out and hunt some caribou tomorrow, though. Yeah, good luck. I hope you find a big bull. Yeah. I want to yeah, see pictures. We'll see, you know. it's a, Either way, we're going to have a blast. Yeah, That's for definitely. sure. Right on, man. Cool. Thanks again. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Right. <laughs> this is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Alaska DIY. If you are interested in the show notes or if you want to get notifications via the email so you don't miss another episode, I'm going to send you to my website. But before you go there, know I just want to be completely upfront and honest with you. I started Alaska DIY to help some buddies back home who have always dreamed of hunting Alaska, but just did not know where to start planning their hunt. So I thought, hey, I can do something about this. And I created this guide called the Kodiak Sitka Blacktail Guide. It's my first product that I put out. I am charging money for it. It is for sale. But here's the deal. I believe in providing way more value than what I ask for in return. So check out the guide. It's a hundred bucks. 
Or I just recently included a new payment option where for $10 a month for a year, so it's $120, you pay a little bit more. It's the, it's the price of a good six-pack of IPA. You know, 10 bucks a month, you can get that guide. And, of course, there's a full refund, infinity money-back guarantee, like all that kind of... Like, I'm not going to take your money if you're not happy with it. So check it out if you want to. Okay, but this is not a sales pitch. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that I'm pitching you on this. This is if you're interested. If this is a dream that you've ever had and, and you're interested in a written how-to guide with links and phone numbers of services and products and all the things that you need from one end to the other, even if you've never planned an out-of-state hunt before, it's all in there. If you're interested in that, then you're welcome to go check it out, okay? But I just want to let you know that I'm going to send you to the website in order to get the show notes, and I don't want you to be like, oh, this guy's so sleazy. You know, he's sending, it's like the backdoor sales thing where it's like you tease me with show notes and then you just slam me with the sales pitch. Okay, it's not like that. (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just all on one website. So if you're not interested in that, ignore the webpage that says buy now or get a sneak peek. Don't don't look at any of that. Go to huntalaskadiy.com. Huntalaskadiy.com. Go there, go to the upper right-hand corner, click on podcast, okay? That's going to take you to the podcast page where you can stream the episodes and you can get show notes with links of things that we talk about on there. Now, if you want to get an email notification so you don't miss any future episodes of Alaska DIY, you can click on the upper right-hand corner where it says, what does it say? I wrote it. Subscribe. It says subscribe. Click there. You can punch in your name and email, and I'll send you uh, a notification every time I'm releasing a new episode so you don't miss one. Now, I will send you an occasional email mainly about stuff I'm learning while in the field, tips or tricks that might help you out when you come up to Alaska and hunt, some potential gear reviews, or maybe l- less formal than a review, but just stuff I'm trying out and like, hey, this worked really awesome for me. I recommend it if you're coming up here and hunting in these type of circumstances. So if you want more information about Alaska, occasionally, remember I'm in the field about seven months out of the year, you can subscribe to that newsletter as well as get the notifications when the podcasts drop. Okay, so upper right-hand corner podcast, click there for show notes. Upper right-hand corner subscribe, click there for occasional email plus notifications of, on when new podcasts drop. And then if you don't want to be sold nothing, you know, you're, you've been warned. So just don't look at the main page where it talks about the Kodiak Sika Blacktail Guide, how cool it is, how easy it is to use it. And how awesome the money back guarantee really, actually it doesn't say that at all. It just says like money back guarantee, I think. If you have any questions, you can always email me at abe, A-B-E, at huntalaskadiy.com. Okay, I have a ton of fun recording these podcasts and getting them out there for you folks just to share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I hope it's been helpful in some way or at the very least mildly entertaining for you and made your morning or evening commute go by just a little bit quicker. Just one more thing before I turn this contraption off. When my children were approaching hunting age, I knew that I wanted to teach them about the tenderness of hunting. There's always been a moment right after I kill an animal that is overwhelmingly conflicting. When I kneel next to an animal that died at my hands, I experience elation, joy, and gratitude as well as love and sorrow. 
In an effort to mark this tender moment, I began a very simple family tradition. Now when we take an animal's life, the killer kneels and places a hand on the dead animal's still warm body and recites these words, Thank you for your life which sustains us. It's not much, but a reminder to pause in an otherwise busy and exciting moment to show our respect and gratitude. It's also a reminder that the meat that nourishes our bodies throughout the year came at the expense of an individual animal's life. So here is my ask for you. Take a child or a loved one into the woods. Teach them love and respect for all things. Teach them the skills necessary to hunt with humility and to be deadly so that animals do not suffer at their hands. Most importantly, teach them to be grateful for wild places and wild creatures.